listening to Ouija Broads. This is Liz. This is Devin. Devin, we swapped identities yes. earlier this month, mm-hmm. and you gave an award to some healthcare-related politician situation. <laughs> That's right, and I, did. I went to a Bigfoot conference. <laughs> It Specifically, was... <laughs> the, the second annual Bigfoot Roundup. <laughs> I'm so glad they made it to two. It's always yep. I always love when people call it. This is the first annual, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's well, good for you. I like your moxie. Grand opening, grand closing. Grand- yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right, little buddies, I believe in you. So yeah. the, the second annual Bigfoot Roundup conference. Well, Yes, it will. I think it's just, they're just calling it a roundup. All right. All right. So if people aren't interested in hearing about the Bigfoot roundup, check the episode description and I'll have put what minute we actually start talking about the content. But if you want to hear about the Bigfoot roundup. Well, you're amazed. Well, yeah, I just you're writing your mouth is writing checks that Future Liz is going to have to cash. And I don't think Future Liz is going to be happy. No, in fact, the, the fact that I had to do that without having any part of in the episode was the problem last time i didn't say Ah. warning i'm about to go on a 25 minute fucking rant about a game which i've learned the name of it's called centurion (laughs) that's what shot glass hourglass is still on this fucking game yeah (laughs) it's a game also called century club where the purpose is you take a shot of beer every minute until you've done it a hundred times so that explains <laughs> what they were doing that had a shot glass, but also a timer. Uh-huh. And also why you would, because like normally you should not just be doing shots, 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 shots over and over. But yes, <laughs> thank you, Carrie C, for resolving the mystery of what's, yeah, probably one of the oldest drinking games in the world. Those retro time slip house people could fucking party. <laughs> It is known. <laughs> Did they have a big key bowl near the door? A big fish That's bowl near the what door? That punch bowl is <laughs> that I got from them. That thing never saw a drop of punch. Not a drop of punch. <laughs> nope. No, ma'am. No. Nope. Nice. All right. So you've been to the International Cryptozoology Conference a couple Twice. times, right? Yes, ma'am. Twice. Highlight of my okay. life. <laughs> Fucking loved it. I would say I am so burned out on conferences that I have to preface anything I say with that is I don't care for the conference format. Okay. And so I, I don't, I don't sit still well, like, well, I should be more specific. I only sit still well when I'm getting to listen to my own voice. (laughs) If if I'm in a meeting or listening to somebody else teach or present, I I go way beyond doodle. I will sew. I will build small model miniatures. I will draw elaborate comic books. I will paint rocks. Like, I, I will walk. I have a treadmill for this exact purpose. I just don't simmer down well. So I have to admit that by the second half of the conference, I was back to stalking Raleigh Faulkner because I got excited. Woman. Yeah. But I have a Raleigh Faulkner update. Oh, uh, you tease. Will that be in this episode at all? Or are we saving that for a later episode? Let's do it right now because it's very, very brief. And I could find very, very little about it. All those jabronis who skipped this part. Yeah. Missing out on the Raleigh Faulkner update. In. 
1931, <laughs> Raleigh, who's operating as Raleigh Fremont at this point, okay. right, gets involved. His partner in crime is Guy Rockwall, or possibly Guy Rockwell, depending on how carefully the person who was ripping off the wire report was looking. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Rockwell. I feel like that's that sounds less like a Muppet who does the news. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, Guy Rockwell is a former Los Angeles attorney who also served a term in the federal penitentiary at Leavenworth. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I imagine that's how they met, or maybe they had oh, friends in common, or fr- right. maybe they just both reached for the same bottle of milk at the store. Who there, knows? There's only one connection between those two on LinkedIn. That is clearly <laughs> friend of a friend, boom, we're kindreds. Yes, uh, I think of that every time. What in the name of one mutual friend are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> what is this friend request? Yeah. Who do we know? Who do we know? <laughs> so 1931, Raleigh has found this former, now disgraced attorney. Mm-hmm. And they've come up with a scam. Are you familiar with Clara Bow? Oh, yeah. The silent film actress. Yes. Clara Bow was the it girl. Yeah. It being sex appeal. Okay. She is very interesting oddly modern look despite like the penciled on eyebrows she's a very interesting actress very just she had it you know whatever it was like there was not a concept of an it girl before clara bow oh wow (laughs) but they couldn't say she has sex appeal so they said she has it (laughs) and that was how they advertised her she was literally the it girl she invented it and one of Clara Bow's problems is she was subject to a very early sort of TMZ thing where, like most people, I was going to say most Hollywood people, but really most people, her love life did not run strictly along the lines that the most stringent, prudish person <laughs> would come up with. Yes. And she had this maid. And the maid kept journals, which for 1931 was good enough for, <laughs> for right. evidence. Yeah. The maid took the journals to what was essentially a very early tabloid. Oh. And says, I will tell you everything about Clara Bow. You know, she's a scandal. She's living in sin. She does this. She does that. You know, she's depressed and she takes pills and she drinks too much and she spends too much time with strange men. I'm sure you can fill it in. Like all the usual stuff. All the stuff that she's supposed to do on screen, but she's not supposed to do in real life, apparently. Right. (laughs) There is this tabloid called The Coast Reporter and... It's owned by this guy named Frederick Gurnow. They buy the journal. They're like, this is fantastic. They're publishing it. They're sending it around. And Clara is basically retreating. You know, she's collapsing with exhaustion. She's going to the hospital. She's trying to handle the stress of this because Mm -hmm. people had morals clauses in their contracts. You know, this was the big studio system days. You're right. So to be found in violation of this, it could ruin, it could ruin her. Right. So... Two men show up at the home of Clara Bow's father, <laughs> who I, you know, here's my verbal asterisk, absolute shithead, cannot say enough bad stuff about this guy, 
probably did very horrible things to Clara. I see. Definitely did very horrible things to other people. At bare minimum, complete fucking leech on her and and just did not have her best interests at heart. Okay. Which they probably should have thought about before they showed up to him and said, hey, <laughs> did you know for a mere $10,000, you could own a controlling share in the Coast Reporter. And then, wink, wink, you could control, wink, wink, what articles they published. Oh, so my. it's a functional shakedown, right? They're like, if you give us $10,000, yeah. we'll stop printing these things. Now, whether these two, so it is, it is Rockwell, and it is somebody going by the name of Jordan, of all things. Mm. Whether they have any connection to the paper at all, I don't know, because <laughs> I don't know. But he says, no, I'm not interested in this. I am not going to participate in this. Now, I don't know whether it's that he didn't care about Claire's reputation. Yeah. He didn't want to give in to the demand, or he simply didn't have $10,000. Right. I, they could all be true simultaneously. <laughs> Yes, it really could. Uh, yeah, the the story was that there were also politicians who wanted to get rid of the Coast Reporter, and they'd put up fifteen thousand dollars. So if if Bo's dad would put up the other ten grand, then they could really get this whole mess out of the way. Okay. Yeah, and he goes to the police with this, and out of literally a book of faces, like straight up like yearbook style yeah. it's literally a rogues gallery identifies rockwell oh my god and he identifies jordan as raleigh fremont <laughs> so that's what our man is up to oh man in april of 1931 oh, now because man. he did not pay the the whole thing gets resolved the only one who goes to jail as far as i know is gurnow Okay. But well, it, that does kind of explain a lot, too, of we're always wondering how Raleigh keeps popping in and out of jail. And I've got to imagine whatever he did to become friends with a former county prosecutor, mm -hmm. that really can't have hurt. No. No. <laughs> can't have hurt. Learn everything you so, can yeah. from him, Raleigh. <laughs> I don't know. I have some more work to do on him because the problem is that McNeil Prison very carefully records sending him to prison in Georgia. And Georgia correctional facility records have nothing. Wow. So I don't know if the records are just missing or if he did not go. Wow. Why would they send him to Georgia in the first place? I have no idea. Right. Right. That's a big question mark I have. You're going to crack anyway, this. I can't wait for the book. <laughs> okay. You've been listening to Raleigh Faulkner updates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 20 minutes in. We talked about the fucking conference. No. Uh, yeah. That's the Raleigh Faulkner update. The conference I liked okay okay i think if i had done it i would have done it differently but i don't know that the different way i would have done it would have been of interest to the people who were there which i would say there are probably like 50 people there maybe during okay. the during the day on and off um, okay Is a lot of people seem to know each other i'm it's i'm sure it's a smaller community than even i realize was it a conference that was big enough where you had panels and you could pick and choose your own conference adventure or was everybody no. in the same? 
that was my critique with the cryptozoology conference um, mm-hmm. was, but I understand like it is niche and there yeah. are not a ton of people who you can get, like if you're getting enough people to speak on panels or to have their own independent sessions where you can have a choose your own adventure conference, then who the fuck is coming to the conference? Yeah, and then you're in a situation where you've got to double your tech support, you've got to double your space, it's a thing. It was like at a conference center in the valley. It was behind a Rosars. I guess what I'm trying to say is like it wasn't a a hugely notable space, but it wasn't bad. It was just sort of one of those generic spaces that you can use for anything. Whereas I'm like, no, have this at a haunted fucking mansion or don't waste my time. Exactly. (laughs) Precisely. Have this on the grounds of one of Spokane's big, beautiful, historic mansions. Have it in a cemetery. Have it down by the river. Mm -hmm. But don't do it in, like, the Holiday Inn's budget conference room. Right. But I also know, you know, hmm, what do those places not have? Uh, Food preparation areas. ADA compliant yeah. access, yeah. parking, yeah. <laughs> all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I understand. I understand what it, what it was. It was basically a bunch of speakers. My favorite speaker was the one who kicked off the entire conference. His name was Ken Rainbow Cougar Edwards. Okay. He is from the Colville tribe. Okay. And Ken was the most dynamic speaker I've seen in a long, long time. Okay. I think I texted you yes. during this, and I was like, this is the only person I would actually go to the effort of trying to do an interview with yes. for Ouija Broads. Because in general, it doesn't matter how interesting stuff is. I'm like, oh my god, the scheduling, the getting a different microphone, the teaching somebody just to get into a microphone correctly. Holy shit, I can't handle this. But no. Ken was so engaging. Such oh. a funny speaker. Well, and this is the person where you did text me saying I would go to the trouble of interviewing this person. And then I got a follow-up text in all caps. It was like, holy shit, now he's throwing glitter. He did. And he was the first person. So that glitter was there all day. Yes, Ken. On the stage. And on the carpet. Yeah. Um, you know, the cover-up-everything carpet can't cover glitter. You can't, no! So I think part of the reason why I connected with Ken the best is... Oh, man, you're going to catch me, like, thinking a lot about my words here. Because I don't want to be disrespectful to anyone's conception of Bigfoot. And yeah. Matt joined me in the afternoon. And we did have a conversation at lunch where I'm like, I bet there's a lot of, like social norms in this community if you're a bigfoot is a lost australopithecus or whatever person Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you meet a person who is a bigfoot is a space alien who can (laughs) walk between planes person yeah like how do you resolve that are are you just like are you thinking that they have no clue or are you just like Whatever, at least you you're thinking about it. I would hope. We've got points of overlap. I'm just really happy to find another person who believes in Bigfoot. Yes. And I think here is the point of overlap that Rainbow Cougar and I had. Okay. That was bigger than what I had with most of the rest of the speakers, which is Bigfoot is fun to talk about. Yes. And I would say that most of the focus of the other speakers was Bigfoot is serious fucking business. Mm. And that's a, that I don't have that. No. I can't overlap with that. No. Same. So in the morning it was Ken, and I'll go back and tell you more about some of the stuff that he had to say. 
And it was followed by Larry Beans Baxter. (laughs) (laughs) Who does his own show, which I've not had the chance to listen to, called Alasquatch. This whole thing was put on by Spokane's Extreme Expeditions, and one of the Extreme Expeditions they will do is looking for Bigfoot. Okay. So if you want to pay them, go look for Bigfoot with them. They will come. They got all the equipment. They got the night vision cameras. All right. They got they got all the shits. All right. So um, it was Ken. It was someone talking about their investigation of an area in Alaska and sharing their pictures of what they'd seen, what they'd found. Okay. That was kind of interesting just as like a travelogue. I'm sure. Do they have any evidence, any photos they found or showed that you were like, oh, huh. Uh, you know what was really funny is consistently through the conference, what more than one person said is, if you have to circle it in red, it's not there. God! And I'm like, that is the funniest thing. Thank you. To hear from a bunch of researchers, a bunch of Bigfoot researchers. Yes. <laughs> they did not have anything that made me go, oh, mm-hmm. but they had some stuff that I'm like, okay, I'm intrigued. I don't really know what I'm looking at right. here, but I see why you felt the need to take a picture of right. it. Right. There was a presenter from Project Zoo Book, which is a group which sounds fascinating. Okay. If I had anything to contribute to them and more free time, I would try to get involved. It's basically a group of people who are more on the Bigfoot's Fun to Talk About things. Okay. So it started with her talking to a bunch of people who work with primates at a zoo. Okay. Because they would have Bigfoot lunches and talk about... You know, if Bigfoot was real, would Bigfoot have a social structure like mountain gorillas? Oh. Would they run in troops? Yeah. Would there be, you know, would would young bachelor males go off in their own troops yeah. and be rowdier and range wider? Yeah. But I remember one person that she mentioned that I was like, oh, shit, that's really smart, was a guy who is a ergonomics engineer in the automobile industry. Okay. What he does all day is figure out how do I make car seats that are safe, that are comfortable, that reflect how the human body is going to operate these pedals and these wheels and these gears and all these buttons. So he thinks about if there was a creature like this, if there was a thing that was this tall, if it really did have a foot that looks like this print, how would it walk? Okay. Where would these tendons connect? You know, what would its spine be bent like Mm -hmm. i'm like that's really interesting Mm -hmm. so they all compare notes and talk about this i'm like okay that's fun that's that seems very interesting because it's not saying it does or doesn't exist it's just saying okay under the premise that it does exist what is it actually like and like you said that's fun and that's a part of the puzzle that i think you can actually you can engineer without having physical proof of bigfoot's existence you can you can yeah. use these other case studies and go if then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, that's so cool. They have a lot of actual people, like speech therapists, thinking about what would a vocalization sound like. Yeah. What what range of vocalizations would they have? Because we know that you know gorillas in different areas have different accents and different yeah. dialects. Yeah. Of how they communicate. So would Sasquatch have that? That's really interesting. It is really interesting. I've considered that too. Like what's the palette shape like? If you hear people yeah. talk about Bigfoot making guttural noises, but also these wildcat sounding screams, but also clicks. Mm-hmm. 
I'm like, that's so foreign an idea to me that an animal, maybe other than humans, and I don't know if that's being, like, speciesist or whatever, but what other animal makes that many different types of sounds with their mouth? Right. Well, we've we've had to deal with this in terms of moving psychology and other stuff into primate models, where chimps can learn sign language, but, like, physically will not be able to speak. And when we first started working with chimps in that area, we thought we would be able to get them to do that. But it's just not on the table. Whereas a parrot can obviously mimic speech really well, but morphologically is completely in a different place than a human. So where would a Sasquatch fall? Yeah, would it be like a great ape? Would it be like a human? Would it be something else? We don't know. Yeah. So that's fun to talk about. Really fun to talk about. And really surprising that most people see Sasquatch as solitary when that would be the only primate I could come up with that doesn't operate in some form of family group. Yeah, it would be very unusual. Yeah. Basically, I think unless you're like a apex predator Mm -hmm. who's a carnivore with a big range, that's Mm -hmm. pretty unusual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a fucking biologist. But anyway, fun to think about. Fun to, think, fun to about. think about. So fun to yeah. think about. And actually, I've got a follow-up for you in doing Ooh. Bigfoot research, knowing you were going to do this episode. I found some things, and there's there's a woman that I want to tell you about, and I can do it now. I don't mean to keep, like, building it up, but that's basically the crux of her entire podcast is, like, it is important to think about Bigfoot regardless of whether or not he's real for these reasons, one of which, like, it's fun. Awesome. I think that's going to tie into how I kind of want to wrap the episode up. Perfect. So maybe we'll revisit that then. I'll save it. Thank you. The last speaker that I saw before I ran out of steam, Yeah. I was not as wild about. I don't know if he was not totally prepared. He clearly had traveled a lot, and he had interesting things to say. But that was the first time that I really went, okay, I'm not a scientist who sits in a lab with beakers and micropipettes, but I do do science. Right. And you're really putting science through the ringer here, dude. Like, you, you can't say that because we found a coelacanth, therefore anything oh. could be out there. No, there are bounds Absolutely. on what could be out there. Yeah. They're pretty broad. Yeah. But they're informed by things that we actually know. So had it been me... I would have had somebody come in who, for instance, had discovered, I don't know, a troop of lowland gorillas yes. whose presence wasn't previously known, or even even a species of anything, anything. that we didn't know, right. as long as it was, I mean, preferably a mammal, and said, hey, right. here's how I, as a biologist, as a zoologist, as whatever this is, I approached this. Here's yeah. how I documented this. Here's how I established it scientifically here are the standards that you need to go to before you can say you've discovered a new species yeah because the guy was kind of saying you know you can't just circle a footprint and say that and it's like okay well then what can you do though right right like what would be the standard what would be you know we have all kinds of different standards for evidence in our culture we have you know criminal case legality and we have civil case legality we have the standard but what is the scientific standard that we would need to meet to establish this right because i feel like people are are just kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks and right. it's like guys you you're not 
you're not reinventing the wheel in this. No, you don't we have, have to. We have ways that we think about this. There are ways that we examine this. And as fun as camping trips are, that's not field research. It's not field research, no. Yeah. No, and that's where we're going to come to a, a possibly classist, but certainly... Um, Cultural divide, where especially in cryptozoology, a lot of the people that are really into it are, hey, I'm going to say it, they're passionate hobbyists. Or yes. they are self-taught experts, but expert I'm using in not, I'm using almost in an air quote way, because like you said, there are still some best practices that you really only get from certain kinds of education or certain kinds of mentorship that you aren't necessarily going to pick up from just throwing yourself into all the online research, all the books that you can get. And it it shows, and it does no credit to any genre, but especially one of these, like, one of these niche hobbies. If you come at it, then less than perfect. Yeah. And I think if you if you want to look at Bigfoot from a scientific perspective, more power to you. I think that's a completely valid thing to do. But you have to know what the scientific perspective is. Yeah. You can't mischaracterize it. You can't raise the bar too high or lower it. Yeah. I've actually now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like a lot of people are kind of defaulting to almost a criminal forensic approach to evidence mm, with Bigfoot. They are, right. That it's not that they're trying to prove that a species exists or is active in a region. They're kind of showing you the evidence that they would if they were trying to show you that Bigfoot robbed the 7-Eleven. Oh my god. Where I love like, you. Here's a footprint. Here's, here's a blurry picture of him <laughs> running away from the camera. Security cam footage with him yeah. and pantyhose <laughs> over his head. Yeah, yes. where's 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 the scientist saying, okay, I'm not going to prove or disprove Bigfoot. I'm going to prove or disprove that a large omnivore eating a seasonal diet could exist in this 100-mile radius in these numbers. Yeah, yeah. Just walk uh, me through that. Yeah, walk me through walk that. Me That's th- fucking awesome. Yeah. Not just, you know, I here's, here's proof that something big stepped here. I'm like, that's all you've got, though. Like you can't you can't move forward from there is the part that's frustrating right. to me. That is what in one of my writing ticks I would call provocative, but by no means conclusive <laughs> evidence. Right. <laughs> I like picked that up at some point. I find myself doing it. I'm like, fuck's sake, what are you doing? Oh my god. But you've got to temper this stuff. You've got to be very, very judicious yeah. and appropriate with what you found. And at this point, so, again, I'm not putting people down for how they want to engage with this because you. I, I think the conclusion I've come to is there's almost no wrong way to engage with this. But, it, yeah, if you want to do it the science way, you have to either get scienced yes. <laughs> or find somebody who is because there are a lot of ways of knowing stuff. And I think we underprivilege some of them. Yeah. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with non-scientific ways of knowing stuff. But again, science is is being held up in this almost religious way. Right. By a lot of the people who were who were speaking at this conference and that was frustrating to me as somebody who spends all day every day with how little you can get done 
with actual extensively proven science. Mm-hmm. Like, they can't prove that Bigfoot exists. I can prove that thousands of people are in real problem territory because of Medicaid work expansions, and I yeah. still can't make people not do Medicaid work expansions. <laughs> so I was just sitting there going, like, I feel like you guys think you're going to cross this threshold and your problems are going to be solved. Right. And it's, I don't know, it would have been interesting to see something about something like the Palouse earthworm, right? Yeah. Where it was kind of a cryptid. Yeah. And then it was kind of not, and then it was kind of in danger. Yeah. Like, what yeah. are the models that we have for these other things? Like, how much did we really know? Is there anything that we've thought about and re- talked about and seen as much as we've seen Sasquatch that we then found? Right. Or is it all stuff like the Palouse earthworm or the coelacanth where you either are from there and you're like, yeah, I run these things over with my plow all the yeah. time. Or you're not from there and you're like, that's a myth. And then if you can actually get a person who's allowed to know things the science way in the same place as the people who see it all yes. the time, mystery solved. Mystery, I don't yes. think that's where we're at with Sasquatch. No, I don't think so either. And you're right. And I, I want to clarify, I really agree with what you're saying. There are many ways to know something scientific or mm-hmm. not or ivory towered or not because definitely there were – People living where coelacanths were saying for years, yeah, that's a fish Mm -hmm. that's still here. We fucking ate it last Thursday. And there were science people saying, fuck you, there is. There's no way. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I I don't want to come across as too snobby. But like you said, if you're going to do science, you have to do it the science way. And that comes with more than a hobbyist level of internet reading, I believe. I think by trying to validate Bigfoot with science, we're actually invalidating it as a concept because mm-hmm. we are it's it's the wrong thing. It's like saying how many love do you have for someone? Yeah. Or, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, what's your belief level? It's like you can describe things, but anyway, I'll come back to that. Okay. Let me tell you about some Bigfoot updates. From Ken Rainbow Cougar Edwards, who oh. I bought some of his art. Uh, he's a prolific artist. He does a lot of, like, pen and ink stuff. Okay. So if you want to see his stuff, if you go online and just Google search Ken Rainbow Cougar Edwards, you'll find places where you can see his work, buy some stuff, support his art. He had a lot of crucial updates about what's going on <laughs> with Bigfoot because Ken is in very close relationship with Bigfoot. And this is going to okay. sound... This may come off like I'm being flip or disrespectful just because I'm presenting this so bluntly. Okay. But I believe Ken. I don't know what I would see if I was there, yeah. but I believe that Ken is seeing what he's seeing okay. and is reporting to us. I also think there might be a very tiny element of, I only know two things about white people. They love Rachel Ray and they love Sasquatch. <laughs> In which case, also, more fucking power to you, Ken. Ken, if you, you stack that paper. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Baby, I'll give you my money. That's fine. Yep. The, the, one of the most, more startling things that I heard him say when I came in was that Bigfoots like to eat Indian food. No, and what stop he was it. saying is that they like to eat the same food as people traditionally. I see. In North yes. America. Yes. But I was just picturing Bigfoot with like a curry, curry. takeout. 
breakfast. I'm like, yep. damn, who doesn't, Bigfoot? Who doesn't, Bigfoot? Give me some of that naan yeah. bread. Yeah, damn. But so what he was, what he means is like camas root and yeah, salmon, like berries and, and, and yeah. fish. Okay. Yeah. So one interesting thing about Ken is he is a storyteller, but he's also a story collector. So he spent mm-hmm. a lot of time talking to people on different tri- or in different tribes and talking to people with different traditions. So he says, for instance, that the Sioux say that the Bigfoot can hunt buffalo. Like he doesn't have he doesn't know people who say that the Bigfoot around here hunt buffalo, yeah. but apparently out in Sioux country they do. Okay, the Bigfoots that he describes. I should characterize this a little bit. Yeah. Are more in the realm of demigods, mm-hmm. I guess. And I'm clearly way out of my lane on this. Totally. Right? I'm trying to translate what somebody else has told me through recollection. But he's not trying to describe a thing that he's trying to prove to science. He's talking about what other people have told him. Okay. What he's seen for himself, the stories that he's collected. Okay. He'll present it to everybody and you take it and do with it what you will. So with that, I pass that on to you. The Bigfoots that he describes, they can shapeshift. Mm-hmm. So he actually describes them being able to turn into trees, which makes a lot of sense oh. from a certain perspective, right? That you're yeah. like trying to follow this thing. And all of a sudden, it's just like, no, I'm a ponderosa pine. Yes. Like, God damn it. Where'd you go? Yes. They can fly. Uh, they can uh, outrun a 70 mile per hour car. Only... Only up to 70 miles, though. Well, so the thing was that his aunt was driving in California. A Bigfoot was running alongside his aunt's car and, like, rocking it to mess with her. And she was going 70. So that's where that comes from. Oh, God. Yeah. He was explaining. It was, like, just just playful. The way he was explaining it, basically, is that the adults are mature and have lots of powers right okay the teenagers and the kids less so so the adults will take the teenagers and the kids and be like hey this is what a car is this is what a road is okay this is what a a town is like don't don't go in there don't mess with this stuff well sometimes kids don't listen Uh (laughs) and so that's often evidently the ones that you will see and I like that in as well as a way of explaining why some Sasquatch have amazing powers yeah. and some don't. You're like, well, I don't know, can all humans sing? Like, <laughs> that one can't even tie his shoes yet. Of course yeah. he doesn't have any fucking powers. He's two years yeah. old. He also said that 10,000 years ago in what's now Tennessee... Their people had a huge battle with our people, you know, collectively humans, not white people specifically. And the survivors went all kinds of places. So some of them went underground. Some of them went to other planets. Some of them went to other nations. And that's why if you ask a Bigfoot where they're from, sometimes you'll get conflicting answers. Because they're not all from the same place. And I'm like, oh, shit, that makes sense. Again, wow. like, this is this is a grand unified Bigfoot theory. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming too, together. It's a little bit too much for me, though, dude. I feel like I'm high. It's good. It's good. This was about the point that the glitter came out. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> so he says, basically, that in the cosmology of this there was a series of worlds like there was the black world and it became overpopulated and then there was a turquoise world and it became overpopulated and the seventh world was the glittering world and this is the point at which he threw the glitter yes and that's the one that we're in right now okay 
Yes. One thing that stood out to me about the way he talked about Bigfoot versus what other people at the conference were doing is he referred to them as these people. Like, hmm. it was okay. It was almost like how you would imagine we might talk about if there was another, uh, I don't know, branch of humans that okay. was still around or something. Okay. It was not like you would talk about an animal. But, of course, that's con- that's consistent as well culturally yeah. with how a lot of tribes will talk about animals. It's not that they are here to be subjugated by us. God right. didn't put them on Earth for us to eat and make clothes out of they're the older brother yeah. or there's someone you can learn from yeah so that was interesting let's see oh he said that he actually met a woman in alaska who was descended from bigfoots and here's how that happened okay and they were doing the salmon run and they would you know catch the salmon and hang them up to dry and come back and half the salmon would be gone And they were like, well, fuck. So they did it again. Come back. Half of the salmon are gone. They make a trap. They wait. They catch one. Okay. It's a female. And she's in a cage. And they don't really know what to do with her. So they just keep her there. After a month, she went bald. And after a year, she married the keeper. They had two sons. And (laughs) their sons were the grandfathers or great-grandfathers of the storyteller that he was hearing this story from. And he did point out she was Native Alaskan and she was like six foot two. <laughs> which is pretty <laughs> tall. fucking tall regardless. Yeah. But yeah. to have um, a Native Alaskan I, Inuit, right? But to have a, a six foot tall, I imagine, Inuit woman is fucking out of control. That's serious, and she was probably no spring chicken either. No, I'm this imagining dark haired Brienne of her Tarth. Oh yeah, man, no kidding. this part was confusing to me. There's something about basically that Bigfoots, according to Ken, will steal human women, and okay. I found that a little disturbing. Yeah, but it's it's part of what they say about them, and it has something to do. This part, like I said, it didn't track. Something to do with Bigfoot babies are actually very hard for Bigfoot females to deliver safely. So they kind of will crossbreed with humans and something about their healing powers. I didn't follow that. Yeah. This I did enjoy. Bigfoot have a power to make you forget you saw them for one year. For just a year? For exactly a year. So you'll be just standing there doing the fucking dishes and then be like... (laughs) Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a fucking minute. Soft <laughs> That's such a dick move. Like, yep. I'm not going to take it away forever. Just long enough so that when you retell this story, people will not believe you even an iota. Yes. Oh, my God. It's like those stories of Bill Murray showing up to stuff. Yes. And doing random things. Yes. Like, no one will ever believe you. No one will ever believe you. No. That's all Bigfoot is Dick doing here. move, Bigfoot. Maybe Bill Murray's oh. a Bigfoot. He's a tall guy. Oh, story checks out. Yeah. Yeah. He had a million very good stories. I won't go into all of them because I'm not trying to completely, you know, steal his flavor yeah he said that there's a lot of stuff on the reservation there are according to him indians who still live in the old old ways intriguing of course there's bigfoot sea serpents 
mm-hmm. UFOs, Indian mermaids, haunted roads. All he said was night puppies. And he said, you don't want to run into one of those. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I looked up night puppies, and he just brings you back to him. So I'm like, all right, well, okay. I don't know what your fee per speaking is, but I need to find out what the fuck a night puppy is. That's both intriguing and alarming. Yes, it and is. And one that, that one that we really do need to get into is little people. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, all the little people. Yes. Oh, oh, one other thing, just because it ties into something that we've said before. Uh, one is that there's this tradition of you have to pay them to either be on their land or take their stuff. And so he says they like tobacco. Okay. But you have to give them stick matches and not lighters because their hands are too big <sighs> to use like a lighter. Oh. Um, you have to give, you can give them candy. They like it, but you take the wrapper off because otherwise they'll just eat it like whole. Oh, like a baby. Like a dumb baby. put the whole wrapper in their mouths. And he says the kids like to tease and play pranks and throw little rocks or sticks. Oh. And if you throw the rocks or sticks back, they'll be like, ah, yeah, you're cool. Like, Ah. (laughs) you're good. Oh, I love it. And that made me think of the Ape Canyon The Ape Canyon, for sure. Where it's like, could you guys not Yosemite Sam up (laughs) with your... Fucking rifles and everything. Could you just throw some rocks back and oh, have a little fun? You didn't have to Elmer Fudd everything. You just had to toss yeah. a couple pebbles back. Yeah, just be cool. <laughs> oh just man, be cool. yeah. So that was very, very delightful. All right, are you ready for me to tell another chapter? I'm of so this ready. Story. I'm right. so ready. Turn that page. So, one thing. That they told me about at this conference from the people at Spokane's Extreme Expeditions. So they've filmed this. I think they've done like a travel channel special or something. You can find out about it. Was Port Chatham. Which is a place in Alaska. It's in South Alaska, not super far from the Homer Spit. And it's an old cannery town that has been completely abandoned. It's a ghost town. Mm. It's on the Kenai Peninsula. It's very hard to get there these days. And it was inhabited originally in 1787, which blows my mind. God. To be like, sorry, we, we were like not a country. Almost. No, that's forever ago. How did we even get there? I don't know. A boat. Well, it was the British Royal Navy that posted up there. And then they established a post office in the 1920s. And it was like fishing canning there was chromium mining of all oh, things scary Lo- yeah a lot of people living there but through the 40s 1940s bodies started turning up in and around port chatham which is mm. basically paired with port lock so i might use them interchangeably okay so bodies that were just completely mutilated and torn to shreds Ugh. goes the story uh, one thing that I did appreciate that the presenter did is he said, you know, I tried to verify some of this and I was able to verify, you know, there was a person by this name. They did die at this date in, you know, in the woods, but were they mutilated in a way no bear would ever do? Like, no, they don't put that in the paper. Like, it's not. Yeah. I don't have morgue information. Right. And people would also disappear out of nowhere. And in the 50s, everybody left. Because they were so fucking sick of dealing with this. Of dealing with whatever was stalking them. Okay. 
that's sort of the like the legend, right? Like okay. the summary version. So I will tell you what we have from Melania Helen Keel, okay. who was born in Port Chatham in 1934. So she's a Nanwalik elder. Uh, she does not speak any English. She speaks through an interpreter when she talks to the news and stuff. But she grew up, you know, so she was born in 1934. So she was like a teen when this was happening. Okay. She says that they were being terrorized by a creature called the Nantinak, which is half man and half beast. So people would not go into the forest. They would abandon their homes. Mm -hmm. Everybody spread out. Eventually, even the post office closed by 1950. Okay. The earlier records, if you go back to, like, the cannery in 1905, the supervisor's like, yeah, all our native workers evacuated because of something in the forest. Uh, They're back, but, you know, they left. <laughs> yeah. So she says, over a long period of time, the Nantinak was haunting them essentially stealing mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. killing people and there was also a spirit of a woman who had a very white face and a long black dress that dragged that she would come out of the cliffs and appear to people you're like okay yeah sure whatever like yeah. they abandoned it due to it, it probably it's just you know the cannery wasn't in business anymore in the right. castle like there's a lot of ghost towns but right there's not a lot of ghost towns that have you know a hundred solid fucking years of people being like no there's a tall hairy man right who gets you right who yeah. gets you would you like to hear some stories <laughs> about this oh my god yeah will any of them help me decide whether or not i think this is a bigfoot or a werewolf Hard to say. Hard to say. All right. The So one of the things the Alaska Watch guy said is every tribe in Alaska has a Bigfoot. And I kind of dug into that, and we can talk about that. Okay, I'm interested so let's in that. See. In 1900, there was a prospector who was climbing a tree to try to figure out where he was in okay. that area. And a group of hair-covered creatures ran at him. <laughs> he said they were the most hideous creatures. He could not call them anything but devils. And he drops out of the tree, runs to his canoe, and beats feet or paddles, paddles or whatever. Yeah. And is like, I almost died. I almost died. In 1920, there was Albert Petka, who lived on his boat. He was attacked by what they called a bushman. Okay. So not like what we would think of as a bushman, but, you know, a man who came out of the bushes. Yeah. A yeah. Sasquatch-like creature. Yeah. His dogs drove it away, but he died of his injuries. No way. After explaining, like, here's what attacked me. Okay. <sighs> there was Andrew Kamlock, who went out logging in 1931, dead in the woods from a blow to the head. Okay. A gold miner just headed out for the day and disappeared. That's not that mysterious. No. That's just Alaska. <laughs> Gonna, uh, get <laughs> Gonna get ya. Gonna get ya. There are rumors and stories about mutilated bodies. There were hunters in the area who were following moose sign and found footprints that were 18 inches or longer. Damn. They realized they and that thing were tracking the same animal mm. Mm -mm. <laughs> and they found matted down grass that looked like there had been a big fight and beyond the grass no more moose tracks mm. just big footprints 
going up into the mountains. They did not continue. No, no, no. You let it have it. That's yep. He wins. That's That's totally fine. You you can carry the moose. You can have the moose. You can carry the moose. You can have the moose. Yep. Yes. And this is almost like the oral history of the internet in that it's like somebody wrote this and copied and pasted it fortunately to a message board before the original died and disappeared. Yeah. But this is a story from 1990. Okay. Where somebody says, they're telling the story that happened to them. They're talking about working as a paramedic in Anchorage. And they get called out on an alarm for a man who's having a heart attack at the state jail in Eagle River. So this guy is native, he's in his 70s, and they stabilize him. And then this the storyteller and the partner start taking him to the hospital in Anchorage. And he's talking to this guy who's from a village called Port Graham, another little tiny peninsula in village. Okay. And he, they're like talking about hunting and fishing. I imagine it's a long drive. And he says, oh, yeah, one time me and two hunting buddies were weathered in at the upper lagoon of Dogfish Bay, which isn't that far from Port Graham. And he says, yeah, I spent some time there. And this old man sits up on the gurney, grabs him by the front of the shirt, gets right up in his face and says, did it bother you? <gasps> and he's like, yes. Oh! And then the guy said, did you see it? No. Did you see it? And he said, no, my brother saw it. It chased him. And they are talking about the same thing. They're not talking about, they don't say Bigfoot. Yeah. But they both know what they're talking about. Because this guy says in August of 1973, three of them were hunting for goats, of all things. What? All right. And they beach the skiff. They let the tide runner dry. They have some salmon. They get in the tent. They leave the fire burning. They turn in. Around 2 a.m., this guy's friend Dennis wakes him up by squeezing his leg. And he can see his face and Dennis's fingers across his lips, right? Like, shh. Yeah. And he listens. And then he hears it. A step. And he goes, oh, my God. A, a man is walking outside our, mm-hmm. our tent. He's he's walking like this is two feet. This is not a bear. Yeah. Like, scuffling around. Yeah. And he's, like, thinking of deliverance and he's freaking out. Yeah. And they wake up Joe. Yeah. Same thing, you know, grab the, like, finger to the lips. And they listen to this thing halfway circle the tent. And they're like, what the fuck? Like, okay, our bows and our gun are outside the tent. Idiots. So, Joe, you got to belly crawl out the tent to get the rifle. This does not succeed. (laughs) He does not go. (laughs) And the storm keeps blowing. And they do not talk about it in the morning. And they're like, oh, man, that was... I think he said each of them. I don't know. He wouldn't know this because that's not how things work. Right. But his assumption is that they're like, okay, well, we we really got worked up about that bear. Like, this is kind of awkward. Yeah. Let's hang out. And, but that night, you know, you're you're in one mood in the morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're in a different mood. Oh, yeah. By by night, which, you know, in August in Alaska, there's still light at 10 or 11. Right. And they're all kind of embarrassed about being afraid. But they do bring the flashlight and the rifle into the tent, locked and loaded. Safekeeping, Liz. You know, there might be muskrats out there or something that would accidentally discharge it. 2.30 a.m. Because Bigfoot (laughs) has a Timex. Evidently, Dennis squeezes his leg, and Joe's already sitting up and has the rifle, and they hear the feet again, the two Mm. feet, making a semicircle around the tent. When they finally get enough courage, they look out, there's nothing. 
<sighs> they're like, okay, the third night we're gonna if it if it comes by again, we're gonna shoot it. Okay. Doesn't come back. Oh. Finally there's a break in the weather. They're like, we're getting the fuck out of here. Yeah. We are not here to hunt these. Yeah. We are booking it. Yeah. We are out. Don't tell anybody about the experience for years. And basically didn't think about it again until he read an old Alaska sportsman magazine that mentioned the thing about the <laughs> A day in 1905, which we mentioned before, when all the native workers left yeah. because of the hairy man bothering and frightening them. Yeah. And then kind of was like, damn. And then this 70-year-old man who he's taken <sighs> to the hospital, did you see it? I'm like, ah. Oh, dude, that's so Just, good. Something's up. Yes. So- a lot of these, as usual, are sort of chopped up versions oh, of yeah. the same story over and over. But yeah. this is called by the people in this area the Nantinok. And the this Nantinoc. is not like Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah. Mellow Bigfoot. See, that's another thing I would have done if it were my conferences. You know, what came out this year about Bigfoot? You know, what popular culture and mm -hmm. what's the portrayal? And we now we're kind of like, oh, he's cuddly and misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And for some people, apparently very sexy. I don't judge. <laughs> I'm not trying to yuck your yum. But um, <laughs> the... <laughs> This is not the 21st century, you know, oh, he's cute and and we're going to make a logo out of him and, you know, hey. I'm, I'm going to put him on a patch or whatever. Like, hey, that's our guy, right? Like, right. It's not an Archie McPhee cute thing. Right. This is a scary thing. And this is also apparently not like a separate people because the Alaskwatch guy told the story of a group of hunters in the forest where one of them turns to the others deep in the forest and says, I'm not coming back with you. I'm turning into a Nantinok. What the fuck? Like, fuck. <laughs> no, what no, the no, fuck? No, no, no. You're turning into a Nantinok like white over there. You're going to go 12 trees away from me. And yeah. I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore, Frederick. I don't care why Frederick said that. I'm not coming back with him. Like, no, no. I'm like one way or another. You're right. Yeah, you're, you're not exactly. Back with exactly. Me. <gasps> oh, oh, Liz, this is too creepy. I'm sorry. I only have more horrible stories for a little bit. <sighs> I had uh, yeah. to engage with the whole. Every tribe has a Bigfoot thing. Yeah, and it's debatable. I think. Almost every culture ever has stories of people who are hairy, yeah. <laughs> people who are big. Yeah. But there are some consistency factors here. Okay. So another southwestern Alaskan creature, cryptid, whatever you want to call it, is also called the hairy man. Yeah, okay. It's known also as the Nantinok. It's also the tent monster, which is great. <laughs> or uh, also the Urayuli. Okay. So it's six to ten feet tall, shaggy fur, glowing eyes, and really long arms. Like, apparently can reach its ankles. Oh, like an orangutan. Yeah. yeah. It is, it travels at night. It's a fast swimmer. It no. likes to steal stuff. This is a thing that, like, the mean Alaska Bigfoots do, is they kill you and they steal your shit. Assholes. That's just yeah. mean. 
This is um, kind of like some of the ones we've talked about. Not like a brown bear, but yeah. usually black fur, right? Black like fur, a really okay. dark fur. Some other ones. Let's see. There's the Zunoqua, who mm-hmm. is a forest giant who lives on Vancouver Island. Oh, that's cool. He- yeah, she's covered in dark hair, and this I don't like. She speaks in a quavering voice through pursed lips. I don't like that Mm-mm. one bit. No, don't, don't want to hear voice. it. No. Nope. If you're going to talk, you can talk, but don't be don't be weird. I'm not even going to try to imitate yes, what I think that would sound like. I don't going, like it one bit. This is what it sounds like, Liz. Yeah, fuck you. This is it. I am the Kunukwa. <laughs> yeah, she apparently <laughs> sound like cousin it. That's me. <laughs> I, it is cousin it. These are all cousin it. These are all cousin it. Uh, so glossy. So she evidently steals kids and either cook and, cooks and eats them or maybe just raises them. Oh, well. Maybe, maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty consistent with a lot of these is that um, they warn kids about them specifically. They war- right. Like, I mean. They will, they will steal kids. <laughs> so the muckle shoot have Sasquatch, you know. Yeah. Probably not pronounced exactly like that. Right. Their rule is you don't talk about it. Okay. Because if you talk about it, it will draw one to you. Oh. They are over seven feet tall, so not quite as tall as some of these. Yeah. The ones that the muckle shoot talk about can render you unconscious with a touch. They will steal, <laughs> as this website says. Yeah, like a fucking like Vulcan a, neck like pinch. Like a apparently. Vulcan neck pinch. Was that what you were thinking of? Yes. I was trying to figure out how to make, like, Spock Squatch work, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Sasbach doesn't really work. It either. doesn't quite work. No, but that's Damn. exactly what I was thinking. Damn. Uh, the they steal dried fish and women, which I assume <laughs> means dried fish, and they also steal women. Not they steal dried women. Presumably, <laughs> I got both right here for you, Squatch. <laughs> they got um, Slapu, who <laughs> also lives in Muckleshoot territory. She's a hairy ogress okay. who also steals children. Okay. Uh, the Suquamish also have the wild men story mm-hmm. uh, situations like that. So let's see, who have I gotten here? Uriyali, Zunokwa, Slapu, oh, giants and tree men. So this is a big part of Salish legend. So okay. Salish tribes including like Flathead, Spokane, Coeur d'Alene, Kalispell, Belkula, and Nootkiss. They say that giants were formerly really common in Coeur d'Alene country. Okay. They were really tall and really smelly. Yeah. And they mostly dressed in bear skins. This is another thing Ken kind of huh. talked about where, you know, he would tell a story and in some stories the Sasquatch wear clothes and then some they don't. And he was just kind of like, I've never heard of that, but you know, <laughs> maybe they do. They, they steal fish. Maybe they steal women. There's also the tree men who also smell bad and dress in buffalo skins, but they're different. Okay. Because they can turn into trees. Well, Hence the yeah. name. And if they really fuck it up, apparently, they get stuck. Oh! And so, evidently, until quite recently near Cheney, there were four bushes slash trees together that were tree men who had turned into trees and gotten stuck. And maybe they, got they died. Stuck. Or maybe magic works like <gasps> that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, what if they yeah. were just working it out still in one day, you'd be like having a picnic, you'd be making out with your girlfriend on a blanket under this tree. And then it just like, 
it and then becomes this hairy man just like watching you mac on her damn go back to the part where i'm making out with my girlfriend on a picnic and then a sasquatch <laughs> shows up you write five thousand words of this i'll make the cover we're gonna get rich on amazon <laughs> i'm ready <laughs> uh, one thing that's very very common in this area is what's called stick indians oh and yes you've heard of this oh what my god i fucking love the idea of stick indians i have just heard that it's a thing that you don't really uh, you know, i'm not really supposed to talk about and mm-hmm. uh, Sherman Alexi, I think, did a story about the Stick Indians, right? And I don't remember. yeah, I just love it as a name. Honestly, I think that sounds really yeah. cool. Did you, when you were reading about it, did you hear an origin for the name? No, I don't remember. I found a couple. One was that it meant kind of like they're from the woods. Yeah, like we might say, like somebody lives in the sticks. It's yeah. Like, yeah, that's or maybe because they actually will carry a stick or poke you with a stick or okay. anything like that. All right. Or maybe it's just one of those things that like it started out as a completely different word and it sounded like stick to enough people that it yeah. became like that. Yeah. But these guys are intense. They're also called, you know, Seatco or Seatco. And you're like, OK, I, I kind of see where stick might have stick. Come in there. Right. So they're very tall. They mainly just look like normal people, right? Like they are tall and they wear maybe the same clothes or maybe they're wearing kind of old-fashioned clothes or skins. Their language is whistling. And that's a thing that came up as well in, oh, that's what the muckle shoots say as well, is that you don't whistle at night. Because Sasquatch is going to hear you and think that you're talking to him. And that's apparently also a stick Indian thing is they communicate with whistles. So you'll hear them whistling even if you can't see them. That's interesting because that don't whistle at night, I think, is a an East Coast thing. It attracts the devil like it's an it's an old thing. I'd heard that. And like, I can't remember enough of it, but that's just pinging a memory I've got about where you don't whistle at night because it attracts the devil. See, I've heard not to whistle on stage because it's bad luck, but I'm pretty sure everything, according to theater people, is bad or good luck. Nothing is neutral. I got pooped on by a bird today, and that's supposed to be good luck, so. I'm happy for you. Yeah. What was really good luck was that it pooped on my shoulder and not in the ice cream that I was carrying, so. Oh, dang. Okay, yeah. Good luck has already been demonstrated Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, it is empirically good luck. Yeah, dang. Let's see. So in the Penutian group, which is, you know, Yakima, Klickitat, Klamath, Modoc, Maidu, Yokuts, Kostanoan, Patwin, and Miwok. Okay. They also have stick Indians, but they're called Steyahama, so spirit hidden under the cover of the woods. Okay. And they are very similar. They're assholes. <laughs> they come out of the woods. They're very tall. They apparently talk kind of like birds, like they will communicate like birds or animals. And if you're in the forest and all of a sudden all the birds stop, you're in trouble. 
Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to yeah. hear all the animal sounds stop. Yeah. Uh, much like the stick Indians that the Salish talked about, they will prank you. So they okay. will trick you. They will mislead you. They'll lead you off the path, kind of like a will-o'-the-wisp. Or they will Ooh. tie you up so that they can steal your stuff. Or they'll tie you up while you're sleeping or tie your shoes together. Now, damn yeah. it. That's not nice. I don't mind they, you throwing little sticks at me, but don't <laughs> don't fucking tie me up like a villain with a long mustache and I'm a damsel near a railroad track. That's not cool. Yeah, the fuck I do to you. Yeah, exactly. I was in your space. Yeah, I guess. <sighs> they say that because they can sing like birds as well, if you hear a bird singing at night after dark when birds aren't supposed to be singing and you investigate... Bad news. You're getting led into the woods and you're probably not coming back. <gasps> oh. Yeah. Don't do that. Okay. Now, the Colville Confederation has a couple names for, again, like these are these are humans. These are like a variation of humans. It's either the Chonito, the Squanatex, or the Scanicum, which reminds okay. me of Skookum, Skookum, which is like a big thing. Yeah. Because uh, that's Salish, no, Chinook jargon, Mm -hmm. right, for big Mm -hmm. man or big guy or whatever. So there's a lot of Skookum stuff around here, Skookum Valley and Creek and this, that, and the other. Now, Scanicum, again, stick Indian, can turn into a tree. Okay. This is consistent. Or, according to some people, it's not that he turns into a tree, it's just that his camouflage is so good yeah that he can stand motionless against a tree and you can't see him okay which is also solid interesting yeah <laughs> again this is a thing where scanicum will take off with women and your food they like to do that <laughs> but in this case they gave her back okay. so there's somebody in 1985, who was interviewed, who was age 85 at the time. Okay. Let's see. Oh, wait, no. So her mother was 85. She was 60. So they're talking about experience with a scanicum that happened around the turn of the century. This woman gets stolen. She gets brought back. And she has a baby. She (gasps) has a son named Patrick. Okay. Patrick grows up on the reservation with them. His arms are really long. He's very short. He has a strangely shaped forehead and a big lower jaw, and his ears are pointed and peaked. Okay. Very ugly, extremely intelligent. Okay. Had a ranch. Married, because, you know, he had a good ranch. He was smart, if homely. Right, right. Had three daughters. And the three daughters, as of 1985, one of them was living near OMAC. No way. (laughs) Hopefully took after their mom in the looks department. Yeah, they said Mary Louise's physical appearance is relatively normal, but both girls have very wide mouths, protruding teeth, and squint eyes, which I don't love as a phrase. But apparently the youngest daughter has more distinct scanicum features, like the long peaked ears and stuff. And I'm like, okay. Show me I'm photo. very intrigued. Yeah. I know. And then there's there was another guy they were talking to in the 80s who was like, oh, yeah, I knew I knew Patrick my whole life. Like, I remember Patrick. He was, you know, and he describes exactly the same person. Mm-hmm. But this is my favorite part. He was a very good card player who seemed to instinctively know what everyone else was holding. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what little known genetic trait yeah. 
does does a Scanicum yeah. father grandfather give you that lets you cheat at poker? Yeah, you're apparently kind of psychic. Yeah, but just like a little bit. But just a little bit, just for cards, just for fucking with your friends, because they like pranks, Liz. They like ah. they like playing jokes on you, harmless pranks, and that would give me a lot of pleasure to be able to read other people's minds with playing cards. That would be pretty cool. I would like that. I will, in the show notes, which I promise I'm actually getting around to, because I have a lot of links on this, share a lot of the links here to more stories, because collectively they create this kind of body of storytelling that's interesting because yeah. there's some stuff you asked you were like am i gonna think that this is a bigfoot or a werewolf and uh, i mean the prototypical bigfoot is a northwestern thing right yeah. like it's a british columbian yeah sasquats and then we have the californian influence yeah in the 60s yeah i don't know what what are your what are you thinking at this point I think it's so cool. I just think it's so... At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if I think it's reminiscent of a werewolf or if it's reminiscent of another monster that I know of. I'm just... It really fascinates me when um, diverse cultures, meaning like diverse in area, so all the way from Alaska to California who wouldn't necessarily have a ton of crosstalk, even though there could be some commonality generations back. But the point is, like, they have similar stories. And that Bigfoot or that the Wild Man of the Mountain story is such a trope worldwide. It just makes me think, okay, well, there's either... Either humans are so fucking similar that we even come up with our own myths or origin stories or fables or folktale across the globe or maybe there really is something else out there mm-hmm. and like either way i'm okay with it i want to believe in bigfoot because it's so cool but i mean it's it's interesting to me regardless yeah I, when I was reading these, I was thinking, okay, there's some stuff in here that tracks, right? That they're, they're tall and they have the big feet and they're yeah. hairy and they come out of the woods. Yeah. But then there's all this other stuff that is so consistent between all these stories about, you know, they're, they play pranks yeah. and they whistle yeah. and they lure you off the path and they steal your food. And yeah. I'm like, none of this is is what I attribute to mainstream classic Bigfoot. No, not at all. Right? And especially not like the Nantinok stuff. Oh. No. This is basically, you can turn into this and it will kill your ass and make you abandon an entire and, town. Right, right. That's, that's some horror movie shit. Absolutely so, is. Yeah. Many of these are, they've got that cautionary tale aspect, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, where you, don't you, stay out after dark. Don't yep. go out by yourself. Yep. Yeah. Yep, make sure you put all your food away at the end of the day, and it, uh-huh. you know, it's so the Nantinok doesn't get it, but really it's because you don't want raccoons eating your dried salmon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, it's just not a good idea to leave it out. Yeah, right? So, yeah, they're cautionary tales that are what a cautionary tale is, which is, like, this blown-out-of-proportion kind of extreme thing so that it sticks in your brain. But... Yeah. But also... The Nantinox stuff is that's that doesn't seem like a cautionary tale. That seems like a century of terror. Yeah, I don't know what you're supposed to do besides yeah. completely leave town. Yeah, exactly. That's a, 
a situation where it's like you're, you're I mean, it's Alaska in the 50s. Like, yeah, yeah, you're either fishing or you're hunting or you're mining. Like, you yeah. are outdoors. Yeah. That is your option. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't, I don't. It's. It was interesting to see the, the transition from, you know, several of these Alaskan hairy men are straight up scary serial killer mm-hmm. horror movie guys. And then you have these stick Indians and these Washington and Oregon tribes and Idaho and Montana, for that matter, who are describing like, these guys aren't malevolent. Right. But they're not chill either. Right. <laughs> right. They're, they can get very aggressive with you and they right. can mess with you to a dangerous degree just right. for their own entertainment. They almost remind me of elves in that way. Yes. They're so like, you know, they're going to lead you astray. They're going to lure you into the woods. You're going to come back one night later and everybody is a hundred years older than totally. they were. Totally. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's so, I mean, that seems so much more realistic and so much more in line with, with actual wildlife. Like, a bear is not malicious or malevolent, but mm-hmm. it, it, if you get too close to it, it's going to fuck your shit up. Or it has the capacity. Yeah, and if you were living in the same area as another group of people who had different social norms and hunted the same food that you did mm-hmm. or, you know, gathered the same food, you could see how this would create tension. And, of totally. course, I think everybody has, you know, we're fine, but fuck Hilliard, you know? Like, everybody <laughs> has that. Everybody has some yeah, exactly. place that they pick on yeah. and make fun of. Yeah. And any place I've ever lived, like, it, you don't even know until you mention it, and then everybody starts, like, piling on with the jokes. You're like, really? <laughs> You know, it's like in Seattle, people are always making jokes about people from Tacoma. Yes. (laughs) Like, it's just one of those things. And so maybe that's like, you know, we always make, well, we've got a joke about the stick Indians. We got a joke about, you know, those people over there who do this. Right. They're they're like such and such. They make all the problems. They're all the bad ones. Yes. Yep. Yeah. to, To loop back to Ken, Ken describes interacting with Sasquatch. One came into his mom's sweat lodge one time. Okay. His wow. sister fucking levitated over the stones to get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> I was taking that too, uh, too literally. Like, wow, it gave her her psychic levitation powers? <gasps> like, no, she just wanted out of that fucking sweat lodge. She was like, nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nope, I'm out of here. Yeah, and... As I was listening to that, I I was connecting with him so much because he was just a very good storyteller, engaging presenter, had the dad jokes, had the glitter, loved all that. Wonderful. And I went, it, it made me do a lot of thinking. Obviously, going to a conference about a Bigfoot situation makes you think about Bigfoot a lot. Yeah. And I think I'm revising my position slightly from where I was when we first started the show, because our very first episode was about Bigfoot, right? And I think I landed on, I don't think it's real, but if I heard a rustle outside my tent at night and saw something, I would be convinced. Yeah. I think that's about where I landed. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And now... I'm going to try to articulate this in a way that does not seem like I'm completely high because I'm not. But <laughs> more's I, the pity. 
(laughs) (laughs) But I think I've come to the place that I was talking about a little bit in the beginning where I think Bigfoot is real, but not in a science way. Okay. And I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that there is some kind of collective experience that people are having. I don't think that people are lying for the most part or are mistaken for the most part. I think that people are having these experiences, but I don't think that the experiences that they're having are tied together by a discoverable human variant or great ape okay. that's out there somewhere. And I don't know I don't know what else. You sound awfully close to answering a mystery with another mystery, which is what we said in that first Bigfoot episode is something that we that resonated with us and we feel yeah. should resonate with other people. But it sounds like maybe you're not Really answering a mystery with another mystery, you're trending more toward the idea of Bigfoot as like this, this, not a cultural construct, but more, well, I can't really articulate it either, but this, this, in this experience that people are able to have that doesn't exist on the physical, yes, that is a primate or hominid variant level. Yes, I think it comes from something else. And I think if we ever do track down a scientific explanation for Bigfoot, it's going to be like when we figured out infrasound was giving people all those hauntings. Okay. You know? Okay. It's going to be that there's something about the human brain that when it is isolated in the forest... And encounters all kinds of strange stimuli it doesn't know how to interpret, that it maybe it creates this. Okay. Or maybe there's a a spiritual or a philosophical aspect to it. But I don't think if there is a scientific aspect to this, I don't think it's zoological. I think it's psychological. If it is psychological and not zoological, does that mean that every Bigfoot footprint in your mind is a hoax or a misidentification? I think it would have to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's what that means is there's, because I have to reconcile two things here. Right. And I'm, I'm totally walking into this CS Lewis, like, you know, is is Lucy a liar or is she a lunatic when she says that she's been to Narnia? Yeah. And that's C.S. Lewis, of course, bringing in some of his Christian philosophy of are people liars or lunatics if they say that they met Christ? And of course, the answer is, well, there's also such a thing as a legend, Clive. But (laughs) (laughs) There's always liars, right? But yeah. I don't think that most yeah. people who are having these experiences are deliberately misrepresenting yeah. what's happening. But I think that we constantly are taking in so much information and translating it into formats that make sense to us. Okay. And like, for instance, you're not actually seeing the color in most of your visual field. 
like we we don't do that our brains fill that in for us stop and it obscure the fact or like hey notice your nose yeah i hate it i hate you see your nose now yeah you see i it do with your now. eyes yeah no i closed my yeah. eyes because i'm pissed off yeah blowing your mind You're blowing my but, mind you know we are always editing and we are yeah. always interpreting and i think there's something in us that likes to edit and interpret and experience a certain set of phenomenon mm-hmm. in a way that mm-hmm. creates this. I don't think it is just mimetic, right? I don't think right. it's just that, that somebody said Bigfoot and somebody else picked that up and that's just how it's gone from brain to brain forever. I think right. there's something beyond that that makes us go, there's something wild here. There's something big. It's like me, but it's not like yes. me. It's powerful. It is primal. It is mysterious. It is uncapturable yes and i think that makes sense and that's why it is so fun to talk about bigfoot and i think that's why i'd much rather hear somebody like ken talk about bigfoot because i'm like oh shit tell me about bigfoot rolling up to the sweat lodge tell me about how you got to give bigfoot stick matches instead of a lighter yeah then then seeing another you know oh this footprint didn't really photograph that well and i'm like yeah i don't I don't care how well it photographed, like, until you show me a body, right. I can't revise and update this. This is not – it would take a lot to make me think that there there is a biological, capturable right. creature. Right. You know? Right. I just don't – I don't click with that as much as I would like to and as much as I have been more open to in the past. But I do think that there are a hell of a lot of things in the world – that we don't have nailed down scientifically. Yeah. And that our brains are v- very, very mysterious in a wonderful way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really like the idea that, I mean, basically, I think what you've you've said is, like, all the evidence that we have is anecdotal. None of it is provable mm-hmm. as actual evidence of Bigfoot existence. Mm-hmm. And if it's all anecdotal, then yeah, I want to do the fun stuff. I want to talk about Bigfoot balling up to the sweat lodge. Yeah. I want you to tell me, does he like Snickers or does he prefer 100 grand? I yeah. want to hear about the younglings throwing rocks at me, trying to get a rise like the asshole little kids that they would be. Yeah, yeah. Tell me something about us by telling me something about them. You know, tell me yeah. something about how how we relate, because that's every story. That is, is every story. Is us telling ourselves about ourselves. And yeah. so sometimes the story of Bigfoot is the story of holding up a certain kind of science and a certain way of knowing mm-hmm. to a degree that cannot work for Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that it does think it misses the point. It's it's like I don't know. Like for example, if we took if we took ourselves apart, right? We could break each of us down to an atomic level. The atoms are not alive, but we are alive. Yeah. So there are things that are greater than the sum of their parts. Right. And we have concepts for them and terms for them. But I don't know. I understand why we're trying to interpret Bigfoot through the science lens, because we like to think of ourselves as very objective, scientific, educated folks. I think science is not an exact science. And 
I could do an entire separate podcast on that, let alone an episode. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It gets people out of the house, that's for sure. Oh, my God. It gets people out of the house. And it, uh, you kind of danced around this and didn't actually articulate it, but I will, which is it's as fascinating to hear about and look at how people react to the idea of Bigfoot as it is to hear the science Mm -hmm. behind Bigfoot. That is now a cultural touchstone and maybe polarizing or maybe playful or maybe flippant or maybe very serious. But it, even your reaction to the idea of Bigfoot tells you something about yourself and about the people that you're asking. So what are your thoughts on Bigfoot? Yeah, that is an interesting party question. That's yeah. an interesting question yeah, in general. Totally. That's opened up a lot of discussions for me just because I have one of our stickers on my my billfold. Right. And so when I pull it out, sometimes people want to talk about that. The people who are like, oh, you know, we tested this hair and it was from an unknown primate. And you're like, no, you tested this hair and the lab said it was from a primate, but they couldn't identify which one. Yeah. That doesn't mean they said it's a primate that we've never encountered before. Right. That's there's a huge difference there, right. and you're doing nobody any favors by conflating the two right. of those. Right. So like we don't do that. We're like, ah, this is from a primate we've never seen before. Like no, no one would put their reputation on that. Nobody would do that from their lab. You would just Mm-mm. say it's a primate. I don't know which one. Go get me more. Yeah, I can't tell. Yeah, can't like, tell. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, and I think we can. I'm not saying people shouldn't do, you know, their their photography and and set up their trail cams and whatever they want to do. But I think at the end of the day, you could do that for a million years and you're still going to have a bunch of stuff with a big foot-shaped hole in the middle. Yeah. And I think only stories can ever fill that hole. Mm, that's the end of our book. <laughs> you wrote the closing sentence right there. And then we're going to have a Bigfoot outline, yeah. and people can color it in with crayons. That's perfect. Design the, your own. The end, because, like, that's awesome. Question mark? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Go away. You don't get final editing privileges. <laughs> Fine, you learn audacity. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean on the book. I'm not learning fucking audacity. <laughs> bullshit no but i don't know how to convey question mark with just like an actual question mark that's a completely different thing i gotta you'll, get some of that word art that wiggles yeah. up and down like a wave yeah like a yeah you'll figure it out baby style. don't worry we'll figure it out yeah <sighs> i don't know where are you at with your bigfoot belief at this point in time two and a some years into this show I think I started out saying that I would like to believe in Bigfoot because it's more fun to believe in Bigfoot than not. And that I wasn't really hopeful that there would ever be scientific evidence in my lifetime that confirmed the existence of Bigfoot. I mean, I don't know that there can be scientific evidence that could confirm that Bigfoot doesn't exist unless you did I don't know, clear cut the world, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, nuke the whole thing. Um, you could do the studies that I talked about earlier where you can decide whether or not an ecosystem could support a mammal under these conditions. And I think that would probably convince me 
either to, oh yeah, so the possibility's there, or oh wow, the possibility's really not there, so that's probably not what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. I didn't like when you started talking about, you know, Bigfoot is more of like a, you didn't say more of a social construct, but when you were talking about it as this, this phenomenon that maybe doesn't exist in the physical world, I bridled against that. And so I must not think exactly that, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what I think beyond reiterating that it's, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. I would so much rather believe in Bigfoot than not. And I don't know how deep that belief goes, but I do think that there is a significance in believing in Bigfoot. And this is what I was going to tell you about was the article I read was by a, uh, it's by a, a podcaster. Her name is Laura Krantz. And she spent two years searching for Bigfoot as part of her podcast, Wild Thing. Ooh. And the title of this article she wrote is, even if Bigfoot isn't real, we still need him. Concur. And we, exactly. And what it, what it boils down to is the idea of Bigfoot, this mythos of Bigfoot, this cultural touchstone of Bigfoot serves as a connection to nature. It serves as a reason for our curiosity to be sparked. It serves as a way for people to talk about habitats and to start conserving habitats. Um, Ultimately, Bigfoot researchers are conservationists because they're all trying to conserve the area that they think Bigfoot may reside in. And she also had a really good point talking about the pursuit of ideas like Bigfoot can yield further discoveries. Um, Her example is that in 2012, an Oxford professor was asking for people to send in their hair samples of what they thought were from Bigfoot. And he got like 100 samples across the globe. And he was able to get DNA from 30. And most of them turned out to be exactly what you expect, like bears, raccoons, dogs, sheep, people, whatever. But two were really weird. And they matched DNA found in the jawbone of an ancient polar bear. Whoa. So through people's belief in this fur came from Bigfoot sending it into Sykes, him taking them seriously enough to be like, no, send it in. I'm curious. He was able to then prove that this unknown species of bear or previously thought extinct species of bear still existed in the Himalayas. That is so cool. Right? That's real fucking science right there. Thanks to this kind of squidgy area of, I don't know, do we believe? Do we not? What are we trying to prove? The, The belief in Bigfoot ends up having, I think, collective net good. It sounds like you're saying that Bigfoot is a charismatic megafauna. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Which is my favorite phrase that you Yes, I'm so glad I taught you charismatic megafauna. <laughs> He's very charismatic. He's very He's charismatic. very mega. 
Yes, <laughs> super mega, especially those fourteen foot ones up in yeah BC up on the Homer Spit and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I I guess if if you put the the big red buttons in front of me and it was like believe not believe, I would slap believe because I don't believe that there's not Bigfoot. Yeah, I don't know that yeah. I believe that there is, but I don't believe that there's for sure not. I yeah. believe that there's. That's so that I don't know if what I'm saying is meaningful, but I guess this is partly just from like hanging out with philosophers lately. But a lot of the things that are incredibly important to us as humans are they shape everything about the way that we live our lives and they are not empirically measurable. Like justice, like care, like morality and faith and love and all you know rationality all this kind of stuff is important and you can explain it and you can argue about it and you can know it when you see it but we can never make a test for it we can never do a blood test and be like yes you are in love with this person yeah i can tell because you've got an elevated level of midichlorians or whatever (laughs) Uh, i think (laughs) that that sounded like star trek midichlorians (laughs) are not a real thing in my blood (laughs) (laughs) no no that's a star wars thing (laughs) yeah exactly that's what makes you have the force and that's a terrible thing because in the first movies the original movies, the Force is just a magic thing you learn from an old man in a bathrobe. And then in the new movies, they were like, oh, he's very powerful. He has a lot of Force potential. He has a very high level of midichlorians. Oh. And we all went, what the fuck are you talking about? That's dumb. That's not extended universe lore. I completely agree that it is very important to continue talking about Bigfoot. Yeah. In so many ways. I think it's important to talk about all the different tribes that have stories that overlap with it and the ways in which they're different it's important to talk about all the different things that this means in pop culture and i think it's important to talk about what it means about our relationship to nature Mm -hmm. because maybe one of the things that it means is that we don't like to believe that there's not somebody who's kind of like us out there in the woods now that we're not in the woods anymore yeah And if that means we don't like to believe that there's not somebody kind of like us out in the woods, that means we don't want to believe there isn't somebody kind of like us out in space. It's it's just a way of not being alone with the way our brains process things. Your question reminds me of, I've brought it up on the show before, but when I asked my friend Anna if she believed in ghosts, and she said, I didn't think so, but I realized I've been afraid of them, so I guess I must. Oh, joke's on her. I'm afraid of everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and it's all real, right? (laughs) I'm afraid of a thing and its opposite at the same time. (laughs) You're afraid of Bigfoot and they're not being a Bigfoot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Lid came home from elementary school. She finally had caught on to Bloody Mary. That's still getting passed around, which is important. But thankfully, because of the show, I was able to be like, Lid, you know, I'm kind of an expert on this stuff. And I promise. Oh, my God. If there's any chance that Bloody Mary was real, I would tell you. And there is not. I'm so proud of you. There is not. But I won't tell her the same thing when we're reading Get Dressed, Sasquatch. (laughs) 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 
but I won't also tell him, well, people found these hair samples and here's a red circle around a footprint. I'll tell her, well, you know, for hundreds of years, people have been saying that they've been encountering this stuff and I believe them. I don't know what would happen if there'd been a camera there. I don't know what I would see if I went and stayed at Ken's ranch, but I know what Ken sees. Yeah. Feelings are facts. Experience is subjective always. There is no such thing as purely objective science. So yeah, I'm into it. I'm very glad I went to the conference because it gave me a lot to think about and a lot to talk about. We can maybe get together a crew and I'll go next year if they do it again, if they make it to a third annual. If they make it to a third, that'd be wonderful. I would absolutely get a Ouija Broads crew going to that. That'd be rad. Uh, It's Spokane Extreme Expeditions. If you want to check out some of their stuff, see some of their Port Chatham footage and their pictures. Uh, I'm going to wrap up and get us out of here unless you want to do other stuff. No, I need to go to bed. I'm fading, my love. I'm really glad that we had already decided not to do your episode tonight. Me too. This turned out to be a beast. I love it. All right. I'm going to send people to our website at WeedYourBroads.com, where I will link you out a lot of the stuff that I found about different tribes and their conceptions of Bigfoot-like stuff is from the Bigfoot Researchers Organization. And they have a website, which is a little bit out of date, but very detailed. Yep. And I'll share some of the other stuff that I found. I'm about halfway through Lauren Coleman's Bigfoot with an exclamation Bigfoot. point book that you gave me. Uh-huh. Bigfoot! Bigfoot! <laughs> which sounds like maybe he saw him like, oh, Bigfoot! Bigfoot! That was one of my favorite stories from the Alaskwatch guy is he he's was a law enforcement officer okay. and he had got summoned by a 911 call by somebody who said he had just bought a 50 pound sack of potatoes and a Bigfoot had stolen them. <laughs> and he went out to, to, to the trailer and dealt with this whole situation. But he later listened to the 911 call and the guys on the phone go, oh, I just got a whole 50 pound pack of, sack of potatoes and the Bigfoot stole my potatoes. And the 911 dispatcher goes, sir, did you see the beast? <laughs> <laughs> who are you new best friend who are like, you you earnest you creature <laughs> yeah yes what a victorian way of putting it holy shit i didn't even tell you about the best moment in the sasquatch conference oh which was when a person in a sasquatch outfit busted out from one of the doors <sighs> that behind the speakers ran through the room ran out the other door and the speaker said did anybody get a picture oh my god <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. That's good time. I love them. Have fun with it. Have so much fun with it. Maybe we will be able to speak on a panel. We can talk about the need for joy and the importance of adult play. Yes. And we'll throw in your accessibility stuff because it can't just be a retelling of my senior thesis. We must include yours. <laughs> Bigfoot is about joy. Mm-hmm. Bigfoot is about nature. Bigfoot is about... Uh, hiding from interaction with other people and stealing fish. Yeah, and being (laughs) as hairy and smelly as you want to be. Hell yeah. And turning into a tree if you feel the situation warrants. That's it. I didn't have a follow-up there. Just... I I guess I thought you were going to say another word after warrants, and it really doesn't need one. I thought I was going to, too, and then one didn't come, and I tried to turn myself into a tree. It did fucking work, so... Oh, damn. (laughs) I wouldn't have known. (laughs) I'm turning into a tree right now. (laughs) Prove it. (laughs) 
I think you're turning two trees right now. Because <laughs> it's time to leave. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe you stuck around that long. <laughs> got late we got stupid i love it all right so let's see i said the website Mm -hmm. you can always subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice that's a good way to make sure that you're getting our episodes automatically at no additional effort on your part Mm -hmm. which is my favorite way to have good things come to me you can interact with us on twitter on facebook and on instagram if you are interested in getting access to early release episodes Two unedited episodes. <laughs> I can't imagine what the hell this is going to look it's gonna like. It's going to be awful. In the edited version. Yes. Holy shit. Um, what a beast. To all... <laughs> Did you see the beast? beast? <laughs> <laughs> to various good things, I put up... Um, we did some promo photos since Halloween is coming up, and I put up uh, a little behind-the-scenes shot of like what the, the fake podcasting space that we made yes. looked like, and then did a little annotation of like, hey, you know, here's a Pacific Tree Octopus, and here's my Mount Marathon cup that Devin got me, and I wish we always recorded face-to-face with a bunch of dollar store and ho- Halloween shit around. Oh. Oh, yeah. If only dollar store Halloween shit all around and, and face to face. But <clears throat> that's it. Patreon.com slash Broads. And I want you to live weird. To die weird. And stay weird. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>